a great, great, great Sunday today. Uh, so we've, uh, we've done this series the last, uh, uh, how many weeks? Two. This is our third week. And it's, uh, it's been a, I've, I don't think I've received this much feedback from a series that we've done in a very, very long time. And it's been really positive, had a lot of great, great feedback of, of people talking. If you don't know what series we're in, I want to encourage you. Usually, I don't promote uh, sermons to go and watch because I'm just not that type of guy. But it, if you love our church, if you are a part of our church, and you didn't hear me preach three weeks ago, the sermon was called The Season Ahead. Last week, it was called, uh, what was it called? Follow, Walk Alongside, Lead. There we go. Uh, lots happened in one week, uh, and if you haven't seen them, I want to encourage you to go see them because it will give you a much uh, greater context for uh, what I'm sharing in and around in this season. In November last year, there was a few changes that began to happen. Uh, it started within our staff, and God speaking to me about different things, and God gave me a prophetic picture that in this season of our church that he was going to shake the tree. And I had no idea what that meant, but I shared it with our team, and I said, hey, hold on, because uh, God's going to shake the tree. And in the last seven, eight months since I had that prophetic picture for our church, God has done it and is in the middle of doing it. And I love it, because Jesus is really clear uh, in John chapter 15 that in order for you to bear even more fruit, there has to be pruning. Whenever God shakes, whenever he prunes, whenever he shapes and shakes and prunes, it's always for the season of head that is going to bear even more fruit. And so as a church, I really believe that in this season, we are in a season of shaking, which is not shaking in a bad way. It's a season of preparation for what God would have for us as a church. In the first week, we talked about a few different things, but kind of ended up talking a lot about discipleship and what that looks like. Last week, uh, we preached about Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy, and for you know, greater blessing to flow in your life, we all need to be a Timothy. Uh, the two main characteristics of a Timothy is teachability and humility. And today, I want to talk about humility. I felt that in this season of the shaking of our tree, really felt the Lord put on my heart that uh, a couple of the things that God was going to shake off our house in this season is a spirit of selfishness and pride. And uh, the person that God has to start with in our church uh, is me. And uh, so I'm going to pray. Is that okay? I don't usually pray before I preach on stage, but if you're about to preach on humility, you've got to get your life in order. So could you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you love us. Through our imperfections, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and our failures, you love us. You've proven your love through Jesus on the cross. And today I pray that as I preach on a subject that I struggle with daily because of my pride, Lord, I pray that you would guide me, you would give me wisdom, you'd give me the correct tone. But Lord, more than any eloquent or wise thing that I can say, God, I pray let your word speak today. I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts, Lord God. So help me, Lord, humble me even as I preach this. I pray that I would remain humble in your eyes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says this. In the same way, 
You who are younger, submit yourselves to elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, this is why, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Um, The reason why that's in uh, quotes is because Peter here is quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, the same sentiment. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. The title of my message today is this, What Are You Wearing? Look at your neighbor and just look at him. Just look at what they're wearing. Why don't you ask him, ask him, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? Have you ever been somewhere where there is a, uh, a dress code? Like a dress code to get in? Who, who here had a dress code at school when you went to school? Who here had a dress? Did you have a, like a strict dress code or a loose? Man, we had strict dress codes. You couldn't cut your hair a certain way. Girls had to wear a skirt at the knee and below, like all these, you know, dress codes. Um, I'm going to share something with you that I'm really annoyed about. I don't want anybody to get offended at all. I'm not speaking to you, but I just want to share something. When, when, when... When did weddings get so complicated? Come on, all the newlyweds are like, what is he talking about? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. You invite me to a wedding, I gotta drive two and a half hours to go up to an active volcano that could blow at any moment to celebrate your life. I gotta, I gotta get there, I gotta get you a present, and oh, I now have a website of beautiful models that I now have to copy what they wear. I have to wear this color, I've gotta wear this shade. Well, I don't have that now. I have to go buy a whole new outfit on top of a present, on top of driving to Tagaytay. Just cause it's your dress code for your wedding. You know that the kingdom of God has a dress code. Do you know what it is to get into the kingdom of God? You know what the dress code is to get into the kingdom of God? It's actually humility. The dress code to get in the kingdom of God is humility. You cannot get in without it. There is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing that you can do to earn the salvation of Jesus. Jesus did it all on the cross, but in order to receive his salvation, you actually need to give Jesus your humility and your faith. Well, there's nothing. Well, no, no. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot receive his salvation without humility because humility at the point of salvation recognizes this. 
I am a sinner in need of a savior. You cannot get to that point of revelation. I am a sinner in need of a savior without humility. And it's amazing because as humility comes in in that point of salvation, as soon as we get saved, the devil tries to throw pride straight back in our face. And that's why Peter is warning us in chapter five. He says, be alert, sober-minded, because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion waiting to devour that jacket of humility, waiting for it to come off in a moment of weakness, waiting for you so that he can get you with pride. What does Peter tell us to do in this scripture? He tells us to resist him, to stand firm in faith, and what? To clothe yourself in humility. This isn't the only portion of scripture in the Bible that talks about this. Paul actually talks about this in Colossians chapter 3. And I love it because Paul doesn't just talk about humility, but he attaches it and combines it with other things. Paul writes this, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So humility, Paul is showing us here that humility walks hand in hand with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with gentleness, with patience, when, when, with, with making allowances for others' faults and making allowances for those that offend us. And he actually draws it back to the simple reality of what Jesus did for us. Hey, Jesus forgave you and me, so we should do all these things for others and forgive them as well. Humility is so much more than just not being arrogant. It's so much more than just not thinking of yourself less. Biblical humility is found in Proverbs 22, verse 4. It says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages and riches are honor and life. Humility is the fear of the Lord, which means that humility is ultimately about trusting God, having a fear, a holy reverence for who he is and how he wants us to live. And the promise here in the Proverbs is that what we will get from humility is riches and honor and life. That's why Paul attaches these beautiful things, tender-hearted mercy, kindness, gentle, patience. He attaches it to humility because all these things reflect the heart and the nature of God. So today I want to ask you, have you clothed yourself in humility? What are you wearing today? Are you wearing the jacket of humility or are you wearing the jacket of pride? In order to understand humility more, we must understand what humility is fighting against and it's pride. My first thought today is this, kill pride and let humility grow. Kill pride and let humility grow. Isn't it incredible that we have just stepped into the month of June, which around the whole world, people in every corner of the earth, except the Middle East, so it seems, is celebrating a whole month dedicated to pride. Interesting that that's the word that's used, pride. I thought there was no better time to preach about a pride killer when the whole world is celebrating something 
that goes against what the Word of God says. And instead of going out and trying to fight, 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 what's our response? Our response should be humility. Don't follow the ways of the world. We follow the ways of Jesus. And so as the world celebrates pride, you know what we're preaching about today? Humility. Pride at its core says this, I don't need God. Satan's downfall in heaven was wanting to be like God. In fact, he even said it to Eve, eat this fruit, Eve, and you will be like God. If you're on God's level, guess what? You do not need him anymore. Pride is the foundation of all sin as sin rejects God's desire for us and our need for him. Peter quoted in his letter that I read earlier, but James as well quoted Proverbs 3 in James chapter 4, verse 6. He says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God hates pride, and he actually opposes pride. That's why you can't receive salvation without coming to God with a sense of humility because if there's pride there, pride will never let you receive salvation. And God opposes the proud. What does he do? He shows favor. What a beautiful church name, huh? He shows favor to who? To the humble. So how do we kill pride in our lives? Philippians chapter two, verse three says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, clothe yourself in it, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you wanna know how you kill pride? You value others above yourself, and this isn't supposed to be some self-negative spirit. Oh, I'm not very good. They're better than me. Oh, I don't wanna, I'm not. No, 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 this, we're not talking about pushing yourself down with a negative spirit. Uh, this is a direct reflection of Christ, that he loved us so much that he valued us above his own life. I love the description of humility given by Rick Warren in his very famous book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not you walking around thinking, oh, I'm not very good, they're better than me. No, no, it's just thinking of yourself less. The Bible gives us so much great wisdom around humility. Ephesians chapter four, two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility helps us bear with one another in love. You know what pride wants to do in your life? Pride wants you to avoid correction and rebuke. But you know what humility does? Humility, and I had this revelation this week, humility doesn't just accept correction. Humility chases correction. So last week we talked about how Paul was writing to Timothy and training Timothy in how to train up more Timothys. Do you all remember what he said? What's the role of a Paul in a Timothy's life? The role of a Paul is to correct, to rebuke, to encourage, to do it with great patience and with careful instructions. And so if you're a Timothy, uh, I think a shallow level, it's a good level, a shallow level of being a Timothy is one that will receive correction 
and you'll change, you'll humble yourself, you'll look at, yep, God, you're using this person to correct me. That's good, but to me, that's the shallow level. You wanna go deeper in your walk with God of being a Timothy? You actually need to begin to chase correction because you'll be shocked what'll actually come out. So Paul, I was thinking about this, uh, Pastor Paul Carolino is our head of our whole generations in our church. Uh, probably once, I don't know, once a month, Paul comes in to my office, he brings his computer, and he sits down, and he asks me like 25 questions about church, life, ministry, himself, and within these conversations that have, have gone on since basically the moment we've met, Paul has always chased for my time, has always sat down, and whenever I talk, it's amazing. Someone that takes notes when you're talking to them, you wanna talk to them more. Just throwing that out. Someone that values what you say, you actually wanna, anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but literally, Paul just sits there. And what happens in conversations, and Paul will be the first one to say this, what happens in conversations is Paul begins to chase correction from me. Super weird. Because usually people are rejecting correction. And Paul will say things like, he'll say things, pass, correct me if I'm wrong, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And gives me one of his 1,000 opinions that he has on everything, right? But just that little line of correct me if I'm wrong, do you know what he's doing? I'm gonna show you my true colors, and I need you to correct me. And you know there's been many times where I've corrected him on things that I probably wouldn't have seen or wouldn't have had the time to correct him on because he chased me. He got in front of my eyes and said, would you please correct me if I'm wrong? And, and it's not just Paul. There are lots of people in this church that come to me and say, if you see something, please, is there something right now you see in me? that needs correcting. And what they do is they actually pull correction out of me, and Paul walks out of that room not feeling like, oh, he just corrected me. Paul walks out of that room with more clarity. Paul walks out of that room with more stability. Paul walks out of that room with more confidence knowing that his pastor has his back. He's in complete alignment. He's in complete submission and has amazing humility. Paul wins when he chases correction. Proverbs 11, 2, it says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Paul walks out of that room with wisdom that he never would have had unless he chased and pulled the correction out of him. So how can we kill pride? Well, the apostle Paul, not Paul Carolino, but the apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, 3, you wanna know how to kill pride? This is it. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You wanna know how to kill pride? Get a reality check of who you are. Chase correction, reflect Jesus, and watch pride die and humility to begin to grow in your life. That leads me to my second thought, which is this, is that humility is found in your heart, not just in your words. Matthew 21, it's a great chapter. Jesus is just poking the bear with the religious leaders. The previous day, 
He had gone into the temple. He had flipped the tables. Angry Jesus. Oh, I love it. Does anyone love a good angry Jesus every now and then? He's flipping tables. He's whipping. I don't know if he whips people, but I like to imagine that he did. He had a whip out there. I want to think that he was, I want to think someone accidentally got whipped on the way through. Like, I just, Jesus is going crazy. The religion, he, and then he starts pe- preaching, people getting healed. The religious leaders are angry. And the next day he comes back and he continues teaching. And they trying to catch him out. These religious, prideful teachers are saying, by what authority? Are you preaching? And so he ends up talking about this story and shares a parable in verse 28. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. Anyone have a child? Anyone have a child that has looked at you in the face and said, I will not. Come on, do I have any parents here? No, I I just need some love in the room because I got three children right now that are doing it. And is there anyone else? How do you deal with it? How do you? Can we talk about it at the end? I will not, little brat said. But later, he changed his mind, and he went. And then the father went to the other son, said the same thing. And this son, he answered, oh, daddy, I will, sir. Right? Isn't that amazing as a parent? That's the response you want as a parent. Ah. But it goes on, but he did not go. So Jesus says this. This is what he asks. He goes, which of the two did what the father wanted? And they all answered, the first. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we can preach on that another day. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. So Jesus, in this moment, is trying to show the pride that is inside the religious leaders' hearts, and and he's sharing this parable. Now, the first son says no, and uh, this is bad that he said no, because we're not talking about 2023, you know, all these young kids that watch YouTube, and they watch little punks, and they're all rude. We're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, in this day and age where you do what your father says, and if you don't do what your father says, there's gonna be some trouble. So the fact that he said no, I mean, this is bad. He says no, but the Bible tells us he has a change of heart, and he goes and does it. The second son says he'll do it, but he never does it. Yes, dad, I'll do it, but he never does it. You know what we call that? We call that lip service. It's a whole lot of talking, but no action, right? Now listen, both sons were wrong. Both sons were wrong, but the first son did something critical. He changed his mind, but the the Greek word here is metamelomai, right? And this is so much deeper than just I changed my mind. Because if we read that, we're like, well, he said no, but it's like, I changed my mind. It's not like, you know, where do you want to eat? Oh, you know, I want to eat at Jollibee. Oops, I changed my mind. Let's go eat mug in a salad, right? It's not like, it's not like a change. Oops, I changed my mind. It, th- this, this Greek word that they use, it, it's actually this deeper sense of there was a change of heart and direction. And the change of direction was he moved from his own desires to do the desire of his father. 
So it's not just this, oops, I changed my mind. It's this deep changing of the heart that moved from his own will and his own desire into doing the will and the desire of his father. What a beautiful picture of humility. Beautiful picture of humility. Someone that has a change of heart to not do what they want, but to do what their father desires. How, how many of us have ever done the wrong thing before? Come on, put your hand up. How many of us have done something we know God's not happy with? Amen. I'm putting up every limb in my body, right? And I got 10 fingers up here as well. We've all done stuff that God would not be happy with it. Aren't you glad that God doesn't demand your perfection? But you know what he does demand? Your humility. And this story, unfortunately, it reminds me of a lot of people in church. Fortunately, in a good way, because there's been a ton of people in church that have made a bunch of mistakes, but you know what they've done? They've had a change of heart. They've had a change of heart. They haven't made a big deal about it. They haven't posted it all over Instagram telling everybody about it. They've had a change of heart, and now they've repented, and now they're in line with the Father doing his will and doing amazing things for Jesus. Then there's other people in church that talk all day long and end up doing nothing. And they've never achieved anything of substance. I'll give you a guess which one of those two people want the glory and, and, and want the acclaim and want the giant thank yous. I'll let you guess. Humility draws us in to do the will of the Father, not just our own. In, in fact, humility leads us to actually do the will of the Father and not just say that we will. Our humility is proven in our actions, not our words. In this community, as God is shaking the tree, do you know what I think he's shaking in this season? He's shaking the lip service off. We, we need less lip service, and we need more people that will just roll up their sleeves and say, God, what do you want me to do? God, how can I serve you in this season? Humility isn't proven because you had the ability to write a verse on Instagram and show everybody. Humility is proven when you can live that verse out in real life. And don't fall into then, go the other way, fall into the trap of false humility either. Colossians 2.18, it says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. False humility is actually pride in disguise. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not very good at that. You know, I'm not, I'm not the best at it. That's actually pride. Do you know why? Because you're not thinking of yourself the way God thinks about yourself. When you think about yourself higher than the way God thinks about yourself, and when you think about yourself lower than the way God thinks about yourself, that's pride. False humility is thinking down about yourself. It's like, man, I, I had people in my life Remember this one person all the time would be like, I'm like, you did a great job. They were a singer. I said, you did a great job singing today. And they would always go like this. Oh, no. no, it's all him. It's all him. And one day I got so frustrated with him. I said, you did a great job singing. Oh, it's all him. It's all him. I said, no, it's not all him. Because if it was, it would have been a lot better. <laughs> Jesus ain't on stage worship leading today. It was Kevin.
And it was Bianca using the gifts that God has given them. But if it was Jesus, as much as I love Kevin, Kevin ain't Jesus. He tried to look like Jesus. Remember when he had his hair out? and He tried, but Kevin ain't Jesus. Sometimes we get scared. Listen to me. Sometimes we get scared because we don't know the line between what is godly confidence and what is arrogance, which leads me to my next point. Humility is the soil in which confidence grows. There is a fine line between confidence and arrogance, also between pleasure and pain, but today it's about confidence and arrogance. That went over everybody's head, but that's fine. Confidence is not a lack of humility. Godly confidence is a humility that your trust and faith is in God. I love the story of David before he was a king. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king in secret. He's out there tending his sheep. All his brothers are off at war. It's a very famous war. It's the war where Goliath is out there taunting the entire nation. So Jesse, David's dad, sends him with some cheese to go down and see his quiz, his older brothers. And so he walks down there, and Goliath is there taunting the whole army, grown men scared, petrified. They're in fear of one man. David walks down, and I I love this. Just this kid, this little boy that's tending the sheep, 1 Samuel 17, 26. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Then this is one of the greatest trash-talking moments in the whole Bible. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. David, this young kid, I love the confidence that he has. Firstly, he's like, what do you get if you kill him, right? He's, he's doing his economic plan here. He's going, uh, what do you get if you kill him? But it's not about pointing back to himself. He's going, why are you all scared? He is uncircumcised. We've all been circumcised. He's uncircumcised. You're afraid of a man who is too scared to be circumcised. We all got circumcised. Y'all never heard circumcised said so much in church before. (laughs) It's the Bible. Saying the Bible. And he says uncircumcised. Why? Who is this guy that he would defy? Not a man, but the armies of the Lord. We are the army of the Lord. Who is this man? David's confidence was already being displayed, his confidence in God. But could I tell you, could I give you a word of warning that not everybody has the maturity to recognize the difference between confidence and arrogance, even some of your own family members, even some people that are supposed to love you and be close to you and be your brother, your Barnabas. 1 Samuel 28, let's go on and read what happens. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. Come on, any Kuyas ever got mad at your siblings? Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Ready? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down to only watch the bath. You got to be careful because... As much as God puts people in your life, the devil puts people in your life. And, and again, in a church community, unfortunately, some of those people are Christians. 
that the devil actually used to shut down your confidence that you have. I remember uh, I started leading worship when I was 19 years old, and I was terrible. I can't even, I can't even exaggerate how bad of a worship leader I was. I was trying to work out how to play guitar. I knew like five chords, uh, the four majors and a minor, and, and I would I would, I just, I didn't have a very good voice, and so I started leading worship because there was no one else to do it, and so I did it, uh, and I started leading, and you know, I just progressively, I got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. As you do over time, you get a little bit better, a little bit better, and I'll never forget this one night. We had a night, and it was, it was, it was in our favorite church, Brisbane, that we have now in our old small auditorium, and we would have had maybe 50 or 60 people at a night service, and, and I led worship, and and for the first time in my worship leading a journey, I felt like there is a real Holy Spirit breakthrough moment in the worship. Uh, you know, now, y'all are blessed. We have it every single week here. Like, y'all don't know how blessed you are with the worship that we have in our house. It wasn't always like this, but uh, it, you're blessed, right? We, it's amazing. Well, if you went to my church, you know, uh, 18 years ago, you weren't blessed with what we're blessed with today. But, but this first night, I remember I felt the anointing of God. I felt there was this breakthrough moment. I felt the, the, the church respond in that moment. And at the end of the night, we're all standing around in a circle, maybe about five or six of us. And there was another worship leader girl there that was about eight years older. She was one of the main worship leaders. We had a very small team. And, um, and so we're talking, and somebody else said to me, they go, wow, James, you know, tonight was, was awesome. You did really well. And I said, wow, thank you. I, I think I did. Like, I, it was awesome. I really felt the breakthrough. I, I think I did a good job. This third person, she looked and she goes, wow, that's pretty arrogant of you. Right? That's all she said. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I, you know, I, I mean like, you know, uh, right, right, right. Just a little throwaway comment, right? Just a little tiny throwaway comment. The night ends. For the next three years, every time I led worship, I would run to the bathroom to see our afterwards and avoid people because I never wanted to be viewed as arrogant. One little word from a very insecure person shut me down for three years until I had a breakthrough moment where I realized that if I do a good job, the Lord's actually pleased with me. And I need his praise, not the praise of people. And if someone comes up to me, and my dad actually taught me, whenever anyone says something nice to you, you say, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And you take on three years, she shut me down. Confidence grows in the soil of humility. But the devil's going to put people in your life that are going to try and rip out that confidence, try and tell you that it's arrogant. Let's see how David responds, right? Verse 31, a couple verses later, when David was overheard and reported to Saul, David kind of bit back at his brother, just like a young, younger brother punk would. Saul sends for him, the king. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistines. Your servant will go and fight him. Could you imagine this kid walks into the king's tent and he just walks in, this little kid, he's like, yo, let no one lose heart. What you guys couldn't do, I'm about to do it, right? 
Like, that's basically how, how I envisioned the story. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But here you go. This is the backstory. This is the secret place. This is the place where David was being trained that nobody saw, not even his brother saw. This is what David said. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, a lion and a bear turned on him. I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied who? The armies of the Lord. The Lord, he is the one who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Oh, God, give us a church full of Christians that have done the battles in the secret place, that have fought the lions and fought the bears and have allowed God to lead, guide, and rescue them. You ain't ever going to do something great for God in public if he hasn't shaped you and pruned you in private. Don't you love it? They took the sheep. David went after him. He didn't just protect it. They grabbed the sheep. Then he went after and pulled it by the hair and killed it. David's like, this Goliath, he's got nothing. I know who I am in God. There is this godly confidence that Eliab, his brother, saw it as arrogance. But David, David, you realize that when David, <laughs> right? You realize that he was actually skilled in slinging stones. Like that wasn't just some magical miracle from God. He had a confidence that he knew he could hit that guy with a stone and knock him out. He had a confidence that he was a son of the God most high. He gave glory to God, not to himself. This community, favorite church, it does not need you to sit back and display some sort of false humility that creates fear or stops us from killing the giants that God would have us kill. We need some people who are prepared to fight the battles in private, who've relied on the Lord, who have a confidence that has been built and grown in the soil of the humility that would say, my God, he saved me. My God, he rescued me. My God, he will protect me. Because humility always points to God. Humble people recognize that they depend on God. And also, humility helps us to depend on other people too. Why Timothy, such a character of Timothy's humility, because it helps us to be able to depend on other people. You know, people that have independent spirits, they think that they're better than everyone. People that have independent spirits think that they hear from God what nobody else is hearing. People with independent spirits, they're the biggest troublemakers everywhere. There are people with independent spirits in marriages. I'm not talking about just church. 
in your workplace, in your school, even in your marriage, you got an independent spirit, you're gonna cause trouble. And, and, and the worst combination is someone with an independent spirit mixed with a hyper-spirituality. Because they can't come under anyone because God has spoken to them in spirit and revelation. and They don't sit under anybody at all. Pride makes us think that we have little to learn. Therefore, our opinion is valued higher than anyone else around us, even experts. Every day is a choice between am I going to let pride grow in my life or am I going to let humility grow that leads to a confidence in the Lord? How do I work on my humility? You know what I love about worship? Worship always rips pride out of me because when I come to worship, I'm taking my eyes off myself and I'm putting them up to heaven. You are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it, right? Isn't that a beautiful worthy of it all. What are you, you're taking your eyes off yourself and putting, that's what worship is, it's to worship him. That's why when people come into church and they're like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't really get anything from worship today. Wow. I didn't realize we were worshiping you. You should have warned me, next week I'll put you on the stage and we will all bow the knee. Your highness. Worship isn't about you. Worship's about him. And whenever you make something about someone else, you're killing pride and you're allowing humility to rise. That's why worship is beautiful. Because worship is about him. Chase correction. You want to kill pride? Chase correction. Don't just wait for it to come. But chase correction in your life. Get some Pauls. And now listen. Your, your Paul doesn't have to just be one person. And this week, like, like, Albie and Paul Tally, they all got like messages from a hundred people. Can you be my Paul? Can you be my Paul? Can you be my Paul? This week. You know, sometimes a Paul, they might not be in your world every day, but you can still receive correction from them. I'm a Paul to everyone here that, that wants me to be. I mean, if you don't, that's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't know why you're in our church, but if you don't want me to be your Paul, that's fine. But, but there is correction, rebuking, and encouragement that happens every week from the stage allow it. Don't just wait for it to come. Chase it in your lives. How are you going to kill pride? Put confidence in the Lord, not in your own ability. Never stop killing pride. It is a daily battle. Don't ever get to the point where you think you've overcome your pride. Listen, I'm not downplaying the work of Jesus in your life. Jesus is powerful. Jesus makes us perfect, right? In his eyes, we are now perfect. But Paul openly talks about a daily battle with the flesh. And pride is going to be a daily battle until the day we die. We will always fight against pride. So never think that you've defeated it. Every day, wake up with the sense of God. It's, it's not I'm scared of pride. It's God, thank you that I've defeated pride today. Thank you I've defeated pride today. Thank you I've defeated pride today. Greatest example that we can follow. It's my last point today that we have to follow the example. Follow the example of Jesus. Who better to look to? Philippians chapter two, verse five, Paul writes, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Now listen to me. Listen to me. 
You know what the devil wanted to do? The devil wanted to make himself like God. The devil promised Eve to make her like God. Jesus, on the other hand, is God. And he counted it as nothing, so much so that he left it to become one of us. He left it. He did not use it for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Savior gave up everything for you and I. How much more should we give up for him? He showed us what humility is. The ultimate example of someone who left his place to become a servant, humble, to think of others more than himself. That's what our Jesus did. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to a point in your life where you've recognized who Jesus is and what he did. Jesus, the Son of God, he is God. He is the only way for you and I to get to God the Father. And it's because of his obedience that he went to the cross. He died on the cross and his death on the cross was to take our sin, to pay the price for all the sin that you and I have done, including our pride that has separated us from God. He took that upon himself, but he didn't stay dead. He rose supernaturally three days later. Jesus is the victorious son of the living God, and he is in heaven right now. The Bible tells us sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. He is beautiful. He is lovely. He can save you. He can save you. He can change your life today. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you did a long time ago, but you walked away. Life got tough. Maybe pride got in the way. Well, today I want to give you a chance to respond. In a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to worship, and we're going to sing You Are Worthy of It All because we're going to take the focus on us, off us, and we're going to put it on Jesus and worship, and we're going to deal with some of the pride in our life. But before we do that, i got to give every person here an opportunity to do the ultimate act of humility, and that is coming before a Savior and saying, I need you. Can we all just bow our heads, close our eyes? You're saying, James, I'm that first person. I've never done this before. Or you're saying, James, I'm that second person. I did this a long time ago. If you're watching online or listening on podcasts, you can do the same thing. God can see you right where you are. I'm gonna count to three, and when I get to three, I want you to lift your hand nice and high because I wanna pray for you right where you sit today. If that's you, you're saying, yep. I need to ask God to forgive me of my sins, come into a relationship with him, whether for the first time or maybe you walked away and you're back here today. If that's you on the count of three, you lift your hand. One, two, three. Three, right now, all over this room. Yeah, awesome. Hands up. Bunch of hands up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In the middle, on the side. Thank you, Lord. Up in the back. Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful, Jesus. Hey, if you lifted your hand, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on your heart. We're going to pray a simple prayer. The prayer that reflects the Apostle Paul when he wrote that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So we're all going to say it, but those people that lifted their hands, I really want you to mean these words with everything you have. So come on, say this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. And I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, but you defeated death. You rose victorious. So right now I ask, please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In your wonderful name I pray.
Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God praise for every person?